Hey everyone, Carlos here, and welcome to Roll with Adventure, a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition podcast that transports you through the magic of imagination from our world to the far-off world of Ibris, a land full of heroes and villains, the evil and the divine, monsters and miracles, and of course, magic. We are delighted to bring you this adventure from our imagination to your ears. If you like what you hear, please subscribe for future episodes and follow us on social media. If you want to learn more about us and this podcast, please visit us at RollTheAdventure.com. And now, let's listen as our heroes roll with adventure. Hello and welcome to Roll With Adventure. This session's campaign is of salt and blood. My name is Cass, and I am the Dungeon Master for this ragtag band of heroes. Today, our journey into this tale of adventure, intrigue, secrets, and magic across the world of Ibris continues. This session begins on the 11th of Altor, in the year 1069 PR, as Sylvie is condemned to the torture of the furnace, and her companions do not know. But before we dive right in, let's meet our band of heroes. To decide the order of introduction, let's roll player initiative, not character. And remember here, we roll with adventure. So, what intelligent delight or mind-numbing tale have each of you to share with us tonight? All right, well, I have a really interesting fact this week. I follow a person on TikTok that's like a cadaver, cadaver dog trainer. And she did a TikTok recently talking about how they train the dogs to, like, not only sniff on the ground, but also, like, get scents out of trees. Because apparently, if a body is near enough to a tree, the tree can absorb, like, the smell of the body, and the dogs can smell it through the tree. I looked this up and couldn't really find any more information, but that's just insane to me. I... Can you imagine? Dogs can smell bodies. Crazy. For, like, ever. They can do it for, like, a long time. But also through the trees. I'm gonna take a plus two to this, because I think that's really cool. Um, I don't know if it's actually helpful, but I guess if you're trying to hide a body... Maybe a forest isn't your best option. You know when someone keeps talking and, like, it just keeps going on and on and, like, every single word is, like, something you didn't expect to come after? Like, that was that whole, whole fact for me. That was such a wild ride. I guess I'll go with mine because I'm talking. I learned that the chickens are, like, 40% of the world's bird population. And that fact, well, as much as I love chicken, that fact made me sad. Because biodiversity is very important. So I will take a minus one. Because it was a sad fact. Is it that we don't have biodiversity, or is it just that we eat a lot of chicken? Both. Yeah, I was going to ask, does that include the domesticated chickens and wild chickens? If there's a such thing as a wild chicken, which I don't know if that's a thing. Yeah, it's a commentary on our overproduction of chickens, but... Still, it still messed up the biodiversity. <laughs> so, it did both, right? We, we ruined everything, exactly. So, minus one. 
Well, today I learned that there is a thing called the Fragile States Index, formerly known as the Failed States Index, which is something that's produced by a U.S. think tank called Fund for Peace. And they rank countries on a number of factors, including economic decline, state legitimacy, demographic pressures, refugee and internally displaced people, human rights and rule of law, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's 12 factors that they consider. And they, they rank countries from 1 to 173, I think, is the top. 179. Finland is the least fragile company, er, company country at 179. Canada's not doing bad, 171. The United Kingdom's 150, which surprised me. It seems kind of far down. 143 is the U.S., and then, like, down at the other end, you've got China's 95, Algeria 74. Um, at the very, very bottom of the list is Yemen, followed by Somalia and Syria. So anyway, that, I didn't know that was a thing that existed. Apparently, people think about which states are stable and which ones are not, and they actually go to the effort to rank them. I don't really know what you would do with this information, but... Uh, but it was a thing that I found very interesting, and I feel reassured to be up there in the numbers in a country that is not at the bottom of the list. Very, very fortunate. Anyway, that's the thing I learned today. Not super useful, but reassuring. I'm going to take a plus one. So me and my sci-fi facts that I think this one's probably a lot of people will know, but I thought it was interesting in how it was described. So black holes, if you ever look at a bunch of diagrams, they kind of look like they're a cone. And that's because on paper, you can't represent a 3D space. But the interesting thing about black holes is while the black hole itself is like a sphere. So imagine like an earth, but that pulls everything towards this imaginary center that we obviously don't know what's there yet. Uh, the matter that it absorbs. So like if it's eating a star or a nebula or whatever actually spins on one plane so that's why there's a misconception that people think black holes are just like a flat space in space, but they're actually a gigantic black sphere of absorb everything and not let anything go. So I think that's an interesting thing. I kind of already knew that they were spheres, so I'm just going to take a plus zero, but I thought it was a cool fact to share. I like science and the universe and scaring myself thinking about some of this stuff. Now, you probably have noticed that you're not hearing the dulcet tones of Carlos's voice this evening. Uh, Carlos is taking care of his sick family and won't be joining us tonight. But we'll find out what's going on with Marcus next session. So, what did everyone roll? I have a 10. I got a 7. I got a 19. I wasted my nat 20, so that's a 21. Hi everyone, my name's Allie and I'm playing Maya Volta, a human cleric of Cain who is deeply, deeply concerned about her friend Sylvie. Hi, I'm Emmy. I'm playing Sylvie Antias. She is a half-elf monk and oh boy, this is gonna be a, a lot of fun. Hello, I'm Disco and I play Alice, the radiant Genasi druid of the homebrewed Half-Moon Circle, who is a walking talking magic mirror hello everyone my name's Corey, and i play kalina floros who is a human fighter who was an ex-soldier in the tower army now that everyone has introduced themselves 
let's get this adventure rolling. And remember, here, we roll with adventure. Legends speak in ancient times of creatures that dwelt amongst the hearts of the volcanoes of Ibris. Horrific creatures driven out by the combined forces of the Triadrian gods and their worshippers. The Furnace does not dwell in the heart of Mount Vesican, like those children of legend. Rather, the complex that takes its name sprawls within the pyroducts and volcanic caves that once funneled magma and lava great distances from its volcanic heart. Such caves, though stretching for miles beneath the surface, beg the question of how true those stories might be. For would nature have not sought the surface sooner? It makes you wonder, what would the children that danced in the fires of the earth think? If they could see the way their homes are used now. Black stone, the acrid scent of sulfur, sweltering heat. The failing light of torches guttering in a moaning wind that twists up from the depths. Sweat dripping from every pore. Unquenchable thirst. Dehydration. Such are the descriptions often given to the physical nature of the punishment referred to as the furnace. Sylvie, it has been years since your first and only foray into the furnace. You'd asked too many questions, and a guard had punished you. In the beginning, the experience had been interesting. The acoustics were exceptional in the tube they'd shackled you within. But interest had turned to pain, to thirst, to hunger, to agony to a hope to never return to this punishment. What do you feel, Sylvie, as you are dragged down these hallways of rough black stone towards the heart of the furnace? Around you, Luscious and a few guards are all that are bringing you. Though, Luscious has slowed the pace and even offered you a drink an uncharacteristically kind action from him. I think that Sylvie would feel a little bit defeated, like I told the truth, and she understands what the warden meant and was talking about, but in the company of her friends, she really hasn't thought all that much about how people view the elves, and so it's sort of a a particularly poignant reminder of the fact that not everyone views even like half-elves as, I don't know, people similar to others. I don't know. She feels sad, but is also hopeful because she doesn't see an O for friends and she would rather be the one here than have anybody else have to deal with it. As you are brought into the central chamber, the heart of the furnace, you see a large cavern stretch open. Black stalactites hang from the ceiling, and twelve tunnels lead out from it. In the center 
a ruby orb, one you have heard is rumored to mitigate the heat and danger of these tunnels, floats suspended between the largest stalactite and the sole stalagmite in this room. Various tables covered in implements and arcane objects litter the room. The commander of the furnace, Mariana Soterula, dubbed the furnace witch by the locals, looks up from a scroll she had appeared to be studying. Ah, the Oscaruli half-blood. I am unsurprised to see you here, though it is surprising that it is only you. She looks to the various tunnels. Place her in number twelve. The guards roughly pull you towards the twelfth tunnel. Do you struggle? Do you say anything? No. Sylvie doesn't struggle. She knows that there's really no point. This is going to happen regardless of whether she wants it to or not. There is an, a terrible urge when the furnace witch says that to say, actually, my lucky number is 13. But she doesn't say that because she really doesn't want to make this any worse. But the urge is there. The door to your cell in the furnace is pulled open with a creak. A small ledge juts out into an open vertical conduit. A vertical lava tube. Luckily, no lava flows through this anymore. The manacles around your wrists are attached to a large metal pole that goes across the entire tube. And with a push, your feet fall away from the ledge, and you're suspended over cramped, sweltering darkness. Though no molten rock lingers in this tube, the noxious gases and ambient heat is staggering. The guards leave, but Luscious stands there. He looks conflicted. Before he seems to glance around and pulls out a water skin and looks towards you. She never gave you a chance. You didn't even lie to her. You can see his eyes as he looks down. And he looks up to you. Would you like a drink? It will help you sleep through the worst of it. Sure. I appreciate it. He doesn't step forward, but utilizing his magic, he does bring the water skin up to your lips and lets you take a drink from it. As he takes it back, he looks at you, and you can see that he is both very sad and conflicted. You'd heard him. He'd tried to say that you hadn't lied. But he hadn't been believed. As he closes the door, you hear the voice of the furnace witch from the other side. Why did you do that? You cannot show them any kindness. The warden will tan your hide. You didn't see her. The warden has gone mad. 
mad since the news came back from the warfront. She's paranoid of anyone with even a drop of elven blood. That girl in there didn't do anything wrong. I saw her mind. She wasn't lying about knowing nothing about the offensive. That may be so, but you need to look out for yourself, Luscious. Your tenure as a free man is only at the pleasure of the Warden. With one word, she can reverse it. She could make you just like them. A prisoner all again. Do you remember what it was like to be a prisoner here, Lashes? Do you remember your time here in the furnace? I remember. Another burst of heat rises through the shaft, and with it, noxious fumes assault you. Darkness consumes you as you slip into unconsciousness. Stepping away from the furnace and Sylvie, Maya is heading to the general store. Kalina said she was heading in either the direction of the orphanage or the scourge ring. And Alice, where would you like to go? I'm going to go check out the docks and try to observe the ship a little bit more. So between the three of you, would anyone like to start? Let the dice decide? I love that idea. Why not? That's a good one. Fourteen. I'm glad we're not in combat today. I got a five. I rolled a natural twenty. <laughs> Oh, it's wasted, though. Oh, man. Well, I guess we'll be starting at the docks. The cry of gulls. The crash of waves. The creak of wood. As water laps beneath it. These natural sounds. They join with the din of voices, ropes, hoists, of men and women grunting as they load the ship, of the boots of the guards as they patrol. Alice, you come to the dock. Alice is taking in the fresh sea air, uh, which is hard to make out under the hood, covering most of his face with just a bit of white curled hair poking out in a wave. He's going to remember his debt to a particular cat and look for a fish befitting. Uh, perhaps uh, two fish, even, of a smaller size. So you're looking around for a stall with it, perhaps? Or are you looking for, say, a dead fish that's washed on shore? I'm looking for something of quality. <laughs> As you look about, you can see two things. One, that a prison fishing ship has recently come back, and with it they've 
they're bringing in fish, some that will also be sold to locals here. But if you don't want to have your purchase line the pocket of the prison, there's also Spiros Nicomachos. He's a local. You know that he's going to be on the Dauntless with you, going to Atsakan. Spiros has dark, curly hair, the olive skin that is normal for those from Talren, and he's with a rather stocky and muscular build. You see that he is standing by a small cart that looks like it is loaded up with some fish, and it appears that he is selling fish specifically undercutting the prison. If this is some form of rebellion, or if this is just because they have a lot of fish and they need to sell them before the boat leaves, you're unsure. Where'd you like to go? Alice will assume a slight hunch, and he's going to walk over as if jostled by the bre- the ocean breeze and I will approach the undercutting fisherman without looking up he'll uh, say you have any good prices for the elderly well sir we do have one special this here he points over at a fish that's got bright red scales and they've got three of them he says these three right over here i'd be willing to part with them for six copper or this big blue this one over here and you see this one it it's much longer it's sort of shaped a bit like a art for like our tuna and but it also has this sort of a, like a ridged plate over over the top of its head. That sort of comes off in this a bit almost like a horn that goes back. And this one over here, this one, it was a bit of a bit of a bugger to, to catch, so we'd be pardoned from, from him for about five copper. And, and then he opens up a compartment on the cart, on like this big piece of wood that he's carrying on the cart. And as he pulls it open you see it's Go, the, he's got the small little barrel underneath that's still it's filled with brine. And and we also got a couple minnows here. Each of them's only one copper piece. Or, if they're really small, two for one. I understand you prices, but all of these fish are dead. How on earth will my grandson enjoy a dead fish that can't even swim around. I... I guess I could give you maybe... three copper. Or the... first ones you showed me for two of them. Well, sir, I see that you drive a hard bargain. Can you give me a persuasion check? Okay. That's a three plus three. So six. Well, sir, I see that you drive a hard bargain, but having a fish here ain't the best pet, you see, because 
the fish that come around here, around the island, they're not exactly the best pets anyway. What you're looking for if you wanted a fish for a pet was back on the mainland, and hopefully your grandson wasn't born here so he can actually go back to Talran one day. But when he gets back there, what you need to tell him is that he needs to go to the lake outside the city of Ventor. It's a huge lake. Stay out of the paper mill section, the paper production, and out of the marsh grasses and the reeds that they use. But what you need to do is go there. You need to go out to Balin's Point. And at Balin's Point, cast off and sit. Eventually, you'll catch some of the most purdy fishes I ever saw. Unfortunately, the fish here, they just ain't up to snuff, really. The ones there, it's even a legend. Some of them talk. But, you say, three copper for these? Hmm. How about four? And I'll throw in the third. Alice has already been holding out, like, six copper since the guy's been talking. <laughs> Spiros will reach out. He'll take four. He'll close your hand back around the two that you still got there and go, You know, you should make sure that you stop by the general store to pick up some things that will go nice with these fish. He just hands you the three fish. They're hooked together on the tails. Do you have a basket or anything that you're going to carry them in? Good question. No, I, I don't. Alice will... Grasp the fish and hold, I guess. <laughs> As you stand there holding them, Spiros is just going to shake his head. We're leaving anyway, so... And you see him, and he, go, and he reaches up, and he pulls out, like, a basket that normally would have had, that they'd have out with fish in it. And he, he dumps some of those fish into another section, and then... Just, puts the basket out and hands it to you. Now you be safe out there, old man. He may bless you, young man. You be safe out there. Alice will nod, which more looks like a blanket moving, and I'm going to continue to walk towards the Dauntless. Is there any type of alley or space I can quickly like dip into and dip out of? There are quite a few different boxes scattered about uh, that are going to be loaded on. And then there are also the alleys that are between the rows of bunk houses for the guards. There are no alleys directly as you're walking down. This is more of like a straight street. But if you were to go to the edge of the street, you could duck between buildings. So I am going to do that really quickly. And once I have cover, I am going to use disguise self. And I am going to make myself look like a beautiful woman with long, dark hair, dressed like a fishmonger. And I am going to take the three fish that I have with the basket and go making my way through the market uh, towards the Dauntless. And you most certainly can do that. No one will stop you. You look like probably someone that has recently come out of the prison. Or maybe someone that's 
been in the hatchery. Around you, you can move through the through the various boxes, past the people that are busy as they work away loading things. How close do you want to get to the Dauntless? Are there guards positioned outside the Dauntless? There are multiple guards at the bottom of the gangplank up, and then there are also some guards at the top of the gangplank. I'm just going to be like, you know, fish for sale, fish for sale. And I'm going to try to get as close as I can and kind of listen in to what they're talking about. <laughs> While still looking like a fish saleswoman. Two guards at the bottom are just standing there. They're not talking about anything. They're just keeping watch. They likely have been told very specifically to keep watch. And as you notice, as you look about, there are definitely more guards down here than usual. They're probably keeping the Dauntless as safe as possible so that nothing happens to it before the journey. And as you get closer, you can hear various talks about what's being loaded, what hasn't been loaded. Some people are talking about some of the experienced hands that have already been through the mist wall. Talking about how cold it gets, but also how hot. At one point, it felt like they were going to freeze. The next, it's like it was a boiling wall of steam. That wasn't the worst bit. No. The creatures creatures living in it. They're worried about if how they'll get through. Yeah. They got the kid this time. Kid that can see straight through it. The kid isn't a problem. He was definitely a good help for navigating around the rocks. And what did he call them? Spines? No. Rape cages? What you hear is unsettling. One of them, though, you do hear he starts to say something. He's like, ah, oh, we'll be fine. We got the snake. And someone backhands him. You don't talk about it. Captain's orders. Or we cut out your tongue. All right, fish for sale over here. Fish for sale over there. And I'll, I will, after learning this, <laughs> dance my way out of the, uh, the crowd. <laughs> Once you're out of the crowd... You particularly thinking of heading any direction? You planning on taking those fish to Giancarlo? Or Giancarlo? Or are you planning on doing something else first down here? I'm just going to be getting the fish to Giancarlo. Holding up my end of the bargain. You make your way out towards Vanessa's place, because that's the last place you did see him. And at some point, likely calling out his name, Speaking with animals, of course, so meowing 
or not even necessarily meowing. Ritual cast. Ritual casting, of course, most certainly. You eventually find him. He's sitting on a recently felled tree, licking one of his paws, just sunning. And when he sees you and sees that you brought him fish, he is very happy. This is Alice's first time. Since he's not in public anymore, he takes down his hood, um, shakes his hair out, and will give the cat his dues. Since most of the time you're wearing a cloak, when you're wearing a cloak out in the sunlight, you have a shadow like anyone else, because it's actually not your shadow that the cloak is making. It's not your shadow. It's the cloak's shadow. But as you bring down your cloak out in the sunlight, the light, it doesn't create a shadow of darkness behind you. It instead refracts, like through a prism. It still creates an outline of you, but one etched in rainbow, prismatic light. It's beautiful. And Giancarlo goes mad like there's a laser pointer. <laughs> Trying to give you fish. He is jumping all over your shadow. And after he tires himself out playing a little bit, He'll pad over to you and your fish. He'll sniff them. He'll thank you. And then he'll bite them by the tail. And start dragging them away. Alice will wave goodbye. And he will throw his cloak back over himself. And his tail will flick back and forth. As if waving goodbye to you as well. <laughs> Alice will throw his cloak back on and make sure he's all tucked into it and make his way back towards society. And as you make your way back towards society, we will return to the darkness, to the furnace. The noxious fumes, they are replaced with the scent of freshly gathered herbs and trees that you have not seen in almost 12 years. That you have not seen since you were 19. You sit in the grass, at the base of a mighty oak, an array of herbs recently picked, carefully arranged in the basket in front of you. Well, Sylvie, what did you gather this morning? The familiar voice of Cleo asks you. Her wizened old face, creased like a dried apple, looks down at you from where she leans, with her knobbly hands clasped over the amethyst stone atop her walking stick. Layers of cloth wrap over her head to keep her hair out of her indigo eyes, though unruly strands of white still escape them. She slowly lowers herself to the ground, placing one hand on her walking stick, 
and the other on the tree to avoid falling, before she runs her hands over her rough homespun dress, smoothing it, and places her walking stick between the two of you. Speak up, young one. It looks like you found quite a few good things out in the woods today. You sit in shock for a brief moment. You know you were in the furnace only a moment ago, but this feels so real. And then you remember, it is real. This day happened only a few weeks before Cleo vanished from your life. How do you feel being here, brought back to a memory from your past? Sylvie would feel both, like, incredible joy to see her old friend, a person that she truly loved like family, in a place that brought her so much peace. She would also... There would be a lot of sadness. She hasn't seen her friend or the place that she at least partially grew up for so long and it feels like she's home but she knows that this is going to end and that she'll be back in the furnace and that things won't be pleasant or peaceful hello is anyone here elder of the woods are you there A female voice calls out, and as you look out over the wild herb garden surrounding Cleo's small circular hut of stone with a thatched roof, a distraught young woman, the wife of a local woodcutter with black hair, like a raven's feather. You remember, she came this day because her husband had been severely burned. You know she's about to ask for herbs to aid in the burn. Would you like to help the young woman? You can't remember how this memory played out, if you helped her or if Cleo did. If you would like to help her, please roll a nature check with advantage to represent the years of your own learning about herbalism since your time with Cleo. Well, yeah, I'm going to help her. That's our job. I got a 19. You're able to help the young woman quite well. You give her a couple different herbs. You give her instructions. And you're pretty confident based off the descriptions that your memory that the burns that her husband had of being very severe might not have been as severe as you had remembered it. And after you send the young woman on her way, Cleo looks at you and smiles. Very good, Sylvie. Very good. I would have suggested propolis from beehives to apply topically, but she would have likely gotten stung in the process. You've learned so much since I left you twelve years ago. On the other hand, your friends might need propolis to help you. The furnace does leave nasty burns, and it will help ward off infection. All sound stops. The buzzing of bees, the chirping of birds, the wind through the grasses. This didn't happen in your memory. 
the trees around Cleo's hut, they begin to grow taller with a groan, their branches reaching towards each other as if forming some great weave. I'm sure you have questions for me, Sylvie. It has been twelve years, Cleo says, looking towards you. She places a hand on the ground, and as she raises it, a small flower grows and blooms. The wizened form of Cleo looks towards you as she plucks it. Show me your wrists. Do you show them or not? Do you ask questions? I have so many questions. Sylvie will hold out her wrists. In the back of her mind is semi-conscious that this could just be a trick or a trap of the furnace witch or... But it, it doesn't matter. Sylvie would do anything for her friend. I have so many questions. Are you here? How is this happening? Are... Am I gonna see you again? I thought... You just disappeared, and... But I wasn't sure if you were still alive. As you offer your wrists to her, and of course ask your questions, you realize that they bear the raw red marks of manacles. She brings the flower close and tilts it slightly. A single drop of dew falls onto each wrist wound. As the drop falls, it seems to glimmer, and where it touches your skin, you feel a rush of healing, soothing, and power. Oh, I'm very much alive, Sylvie. Very much. I'm glad to see that you are, too. I'm sorry I had to go, though. I'd been there too long. I needed to move on. As if you'll see me again. Destiny and fate is a funny thing. You won't know until it happens, and neither will I. But I'm sure that I will see you again. I hope I will. Perhaps I'll come knocking again in one of your dreams. Would you like that? Yes, so very much. I've missed you. I've missed you so much. She will wrap her arms around you and pull you close into her, and she'll stroke your hair. Oh, my child. You've grown so much. How did you end up in such a dismal place as this? It's a long story. I don't even know if I truly could explain it all if I tried. It feels like a dream. Maybe a nightmare. Much of life can feel like that, my dear. Especially when you don't have any control over it. A sense of control gives us comfort. Such was the reason why our house was so far out in the woods. I went by it not that long ago. You took quite good care of it while I was gone. But you will have more control in your life soon. I'm sure of it. As Cleo answers your questions, 
the forest around you continues to grow. Trees stretch high into the sky, their branches weaving together. The grasses, they grow wild and riotous. Above you, the branches, as they weave together, begin to diminish the light. Cleo places her hand down upon the earth. The natural world flows. I have a lesson for you before I go. It seeks balance that it cannot attain in the current age, not with the way things are. The natural flow is fractured and wild, broken into pieces, but still it flows through all things. The spark of magic you harness is your connection to that flow. All things that are natural have that spark, and with it a resilience to the flow of power, while those that are unnatural are devoid of it. But you see, the body can only take so much power. It can only channel so much. If it ever holds more than it should, the result is either death or change. And with her other hand, she strokes your hair, catching a lock in it, twirling it and pushing it behind your ear. You've grown so much, and you have changed. You've opened yourself to new experiences, new powers, new skills. I am proud of you, and I am sure that your mother would be too. And I know your father will be proud of you. But I did not come here to speak of your father. The general moves of his own accord and will. No. I came here to deliver both a lesson and a dire warning. One you must prepare yourself for. Heed it well, lest your friend dies. Cleo extricates herself and rises to her full height. And as she does... The branches above begin to choke almost all the light out from around you. The bark begins to change, looking not as if it were bark, but stone. Stone is closing all around you. When your friend cries in pain for what cannot be contained, seek the flower of the black star. Seek it. Here. As Cleo utters the word here, all light vanishes, and you are in a world of blackness. One even your eyes, elven eyes, cannot penetrate. But then an amethyst glow, like that of Cleo's staff, brightens in the distance. You see that around you is a natural cavern of stone, and before you blooms a five-pointed blossom, blacker than night, with foliage and stems of silver that glows with its own inner light. You know this 
to be the Black Star. You don't know how, but you know it is. As you reach out towards it, the memory or the sending or the premonition, whatever this was, fades. Returning to Merstwall. Next up, we will go to the general store, to Maya. Though, Maya, is there anywhere you'd like to stop along the way? I think Maya would like to take her usual route and say hello to the blacksmith and just feel, you know how good it is to do your routine when things seem crazy. It's soothing. So she, I think, wants to take her, her normal walk, see the shops she normally sees as she walks, say hello to the people she normally says hello to, pretend everything is right with the world, even though it's not. So you're going to swing by Petros Antonis Floros, that blacksmith, unrelated to Kalina Floros. Yes. They come from two different branches of the Floros family. <laughs> it was a rather common name in Port Neartide, where Kalina is from. As you make your way down from the prison, it stopped raining sometime while you were being interrogated. But the streets are still a bit muddy. And as you make your way towards the general store, you will pass by Petros's store, by his blacksmith. It's located along the street that stretches from the prison docks to the town square. Petros, you can see him, his forge. It blazes. It looks like he is making nails, which makes sense. They'll be needed for construction. He has next to him a barrel full of them. Hello. Clang. Clang. Good morning, Petros. You see, he stops and puts down his hammer. He looks to you, and then he breathes in, picks up his hammer, and goes back to it, pounding away on what he is working on. Okay, well, it looks like you're really busy, and, and I know what you're doing is important. It's going to help everybody who's on the ship, and I certainly want my friends to have all the help that they can get, so I'll... I won't bother you, but we have a wonderful day. It stopped raining, and it looks absolutely beautiful out. He stops. He turns around, and he sort of gives you this look, and it's a glower. He's got a nice, bushy, blonde beard. He keeps his dirty blonde hair back in a queue. He doesn't look like he was born of two parents from the southern areas of Talren. Looks like maybe he might have descended from someone that came from the north. He sticks his hands into his apron. He glowers and looks at you and goes, I hope you have a good time here. And that you stay safe. Oh. Uh. Thank you. Has 
Maya seen the new list? I know I've seen the new list, but we got back to town pretty late. Nicostratus told you the list name by name this morning. Oh, right, 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 right. Right, 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 right. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, thank you. I, I hope, I hope you'll be safe too. And, you know, I hope you can see it as, as an opportunity because all of you will be free uh, when the time comes. And, and I know you'll survive. Together, I know you can do it. Has Silas spoken to you? Uh, no. Um, well, I, I've, I've been away for, for a little bit, but, um, was he looking for me? Uh, no, 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 he wasn't. No, uh, s- stay right there. And he will run. He, 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 he doesn't run. Actually, he does run. And he, you see him, he runs into one of his water barrels, almost trips over it, but doesn't knock it over. He's definitely stubbed his foot and sort of jumps around a bit and then disappears. Maya is so confused. And you can hear him rummaging around with something in the back back there. And as he does, there is a a whistle. You hear someone whistling. And Silas. Silas Themistocles Michalakos. A local carpenter. He used to be a shipwright. You know him. He's rather fun, easygoing. Quite pleasant, and a bit charming. <laughs> he always seems chummy with Petros, but also they seem to have some kind of rivalry of some kind going on in the background. And you see him as he's walking by. He hasn't noticed you. Good morning. He stops whistling and looks. Oh, good morning, Maya. It's a... A beautiful day for a walk now that it's not raining. That's what I was thinking. <sighs> How about yourself? Have you been out for a walk yet? Well, I, <laughs> I, I see that you're down here, but... I, uh, well, I was just, um... Would you care to join me? Oh, um... Well, I was going to head into work, but I... Uh, perhaps later. So there's so much to do, you know, with, with the ship leaving, there's... There's a great deal to do. Yes, there most assuredly is. But I I would love to go for a walk later. You see, he smiles and he looks at you. His eyes have definitely lit up. That would make me very happy. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Well, um... Would you like me to come by your place uh, later? Or would you like to come knock on my door? Uh, perhaps I'll come knock on... Or would you like to meet somewhere? Oh, um, uh, oh, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll come find you. I, um, I'm, I'm worried about one of my friends, and so I'm not quite sure, uh, when I'll be available. You're worried about one of your friends, is there? And as he says this, Petros clears his throat and goes, If you're worried about one of your friends, I can help. Uh, I... Oh, no, 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 no. I can help her. I, I, I was here talking with Maya. Oh, uh, uh... Maya was just waiting for me to come back out. I was talking with her first, Silas. Um... Petros. I... Silas. No. Petros. I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't... 
I'm just, I, I, I appreciate uh, both of your offers, but uh, um, I'm afraid that there's really not, nothing any, any of us can do. I, uh, um, um, she's at the, at the prison. Both of them deflate. And then Petros goes, Well, if you're not busy, you could always stay around. We could talk. I can talk while I forge. Or we could go for a walk. Might keep your mind off it. Maya looks, like, completely stunned. Because, first of all, I feel like this is probably the the most Petros has, like, ever said to her in a, a conversation. And... And for him to offer to stop what he's doing is just absolutely unheard of. Like, she wanted the familiar routine to reassure her that, you know, some things in life were okay and stable and, and familiar. But but no, this, <laughs> this is just all gone very strangely. No, no, Petros. Maya has already agreed to go for a walk with me this evening. I, um... Well, there, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's, there's lots of time. Petros looks defeated. <laughs> uh, there's, there's lots of time and until the ship leaves. There's like, no reason that I couldn't also go for a walk with you. And, you know, it would be nice to spend some time together before you leave. Petros looks at you and for one of the first times you think you've ever seen him smile, smiles. It doesn't really look comfortable on his face like he's used to scowling and not smiling but it's sort of endearing maya feels rather unnerved this has all been very very odd uh well well i i should um i should be getting to work you know uh, Stratos needs uh, a lot of help with with making sure that all the provisions are delivered as the as the warden uh, requires and goodness knows none of us want to make the warden angry Silas looks at you and says, well, why don't I walk you to your work? And Petros grumbles and goes, I'll walk you to your work. If uh, it's not inconvenient, I'm sure that will be very nice. And they will both walk you to your work. Rather awkwardly. Maya does her best to keep up the, the light, happy conversation. Though I suspect it's a little bit more of a challenge than she would have expected. It most assuredly is. And as you approach the general store, we will return to the furnace, to Sylvie. Roses. Roses grow and bloom amongst the graves in the Cemetery of Ballads, one of Ventor's many cemeteries. You lean over a nearby rosebush, pruning shears in hand to clip and ensure its health, as all acolytes in the Temple of Ashen are required. The rose before you blooms a vibrant red, but one bloom is also spotted and flecked with white, an errant bloom upon this bush that normally would only bloom in red. Sylvie, you bring your shears close to it, contemplating if you should prune it or not. Do you? Yes, but she sticks it in her pocket to take with her? Life is fragile, 
A single cut can end it, a single blade can reap it. Do you know why Ashen's symbol is that of a sheer sickle, skull, and blooms? A familiar voice softly reaches your ears. As you turn, you see a woman who helped shape your life. Just as Cleo did after your mother died, Isidore, the priestess of Ashen, she helped shape your beliefs after Cleo vanished. She stands there, wearing the gray and red robes denoting her rank. Her blonde hair is drawn back into a queue that leaves the slight point of her ears, telltale signs of her half-elven heritage, visible. Her eyes are the clearest shade of amethyst. She reaches out, offering her hand to you. Walk with me, Acolyte Antaeus. You remember this day. You walked amongst the graves looking down over the city and lake of Ventor, while Isidore spoke of the finer points of church doctrine. How does it feel to stand in this memory? To be here in Ventor once more? Will you take Isidore's hand and walk through this memory? Sylvie would absolutely take her hand. These memories are, like, notably happier than the memories she had with Cleo, because while she did leave this part of her life behind, it rather abruptly and not on purpose, but it was less... She didn't feel abandoned because it was her leaving everybody else as opposed to the other way around. And she really, especially Isidore, she sees and views her as a person that helped her feel whole again and really find sort of a meaning and a purpose to life that she hadn't had as much before. So these memories feel happier than the others. As you stroll with Isidore, she weaves you through the graves and manicured hedges till you come to a secluded garden with walls of stone and statues of the thirteen servants of Ashen, thirteen saints dedicated to Ashen's will that are said to aid him in the gathering of souls. As you step through the gates, beneath the gaze of the hooded statues, a large black dog pads towards you. It nuzzles against Isidore as she takes a seat on a bench, looking out over the library city of Ventor, its whitewashed walls and red slate roofs stretching down to the edge of the lake that glistens in the mid-afternoon sun. The sickle. It fells life like wheat, with both an errant swing and in great numbers. It represents mass death, such as a disaster. The shears, they clip and prune with precision. They represent death singularly, such as old age, sickness, even murder. The skull, it is the final face of Ashen. It is the face he bears when he departs with the souls. And the blooms, three red blooms, one in each eye, and the other from the mouth. 
I prefer to think that they represent life in its three stages. Children watch, they learn, and grow. Adults act, they use their voice and their strength. And the elderly, their strength fails them, so they use what they have learned, what they have watched, as they have lived their lives. She meets your gaze, as if asking you the unspoken question of, do you understand? Sylvie nods. Isidore smiles and nods as well. Look there. She points towards what is affectionately known by the locals as the Paper Palace, the largest producer of paper on the continent of Aventai, the actual location where the newest forms of paper production have been recently created. You know that many in the city are employed here, and that the denizens of the library city of Ventor are quite proud of it and their new creations. Vast workyards, crowded and busy with activity, sprawl out around three large buildings, one that belches thick plumes of steam and smoke. As you turn to focus your senses upon it, the sound of splashing water and the regular pounding beat of wooden mallets rises to your ears. She guides your vision with her hand. First, look to the workyard. What do you see there? Do you see the people working? Make a perception check. Well, I rolled the natural 20, so that's a 23. Drawing your eyes across the workyard, you see men and women are hard at work. Teams of workers line up around barrels of stringy, boiled tree bark and reeds. One team raises their wooden mallets with halves almost as long as they are tall, and topped with spiked heads almost as large as their own heads, while the other team quickly and carefully places new fibers to be pounded between the swings. What do you tell Isidore? I see them all working together? She smiles. A smile that is sort of unknowing and a bit patronizing and annoying, but she still smiles. No, Acolyte Antaeus. Look there. You follow her finger to a small group of children playing a game in the corner of the yard. But more specifically, to one child sitting apart who simply watches the adults, watching and learning. She then draws her finger to point at a leader amongst the adults, one bellowing orders over the din of the pounding mallets, and then she draws her finger to point to one of the large buildings. Through its open doors, you spy older workers carefully scraping the tree bark and reeds in preparation for boiling. All stages of life in one place, Acolyte and Tyus. The children, they watch their parents, their sisters, their brothers. They will likely grow up to join them. The adults grow old. They leave behind the mallet, the scalding water. They leave behind the boiling and bleaching of the fibers for contemplative and meditative actions such as scraping. You can see the stages of life laying out before you 
But enough of that. I did not actually ask you to join me to discuss that. No, I wish to introduce you to someone. Isidore looks down to the large black dog that is laying at her feet. This is Hera Nam. Sylvie would definitely try to pet the dog. As you reach out to pet the dog, you take in its sight for the very first time, really. Previously, it had just been there. A dark form you hadn't inspected closely. But now you do as your hand reaches out. The dog's fur is black as night, and it is drawn tight against its emaciated form. Its bones, obviously visible, protruding beneath its coat, that seems to almost give off small wisps of shadows. As your hand runs along its fur, you realize it is cold, and that the dog does not breathe. As it looks up towards you as you pet it, you realize that its eyes are entirely white. Don't be alarmed, Acolyte. Haranam is not a member of the living anymore. He feels no hunger, nor cold, nor pain. He is this cemetery's guardian of the graves, an animal dedicated to the protection and guardianship of the dead interred here. You have likely been taught that undeath is an abomination. Isn't that right? As Isidore asks this question, Haranam cocks his head to the side. Yes, yeah, that's exactly what they teach. Undeath. Death. Life. Death is not the end. Nor does undeath simply mean that it should be over. I will start this by employing a very important rule. Undeath is an abomination when it is used to create mindless undead and undead that do not wish to be raised, but undead that keep their faculties Undead that are not bound to the will of a creator and forced to do its bidding. Undead that instead seek their own cause and extend their own life to obtain it. They have a purpose in this world. Ashen does not wish to only collect at the end of life. He fights ardently for each soul to continue to hold on to this world. And if undeath is that path then they should be embraced and aided. Haranam here. He was the first buried here in this graveyard. And now he watches over the dead and aids the living as well. Isidore lets you take in everything that she said. Do you have any questions for her? I don't know if I do have any questions. I'm very distracted by the dog. I love him, and he's doing an amazing job. And also, I want to be his friend. Haranam looks up at you. Even though his eyes should be blind, you can tell that there is affection in them. So you pet him, yes, his fur is cold. 
He leans into where you scratch him on the side of the neck. His tongue lolls a bit. And as you do, you get almost little flashes, insights. You don't really know if Haranam actually is an animal. Was he a dog that was buried here? Or is this just the form that he has chosen to take as the guardian of this graveyard? And as you get those flashes of insight, Isidore, she places a hand on your shoulder. I wonder, Acolyte, do you think there are graveyards on Atsakan? Do they have their own guardians? Or will they need them? All sound stops. The sound of the mallets vanishes. The splashing of water. The call of birds. The rustle of leaves. All sound stops. And as Isidore's question hangs in the air, the very sky takes on a steel gray hue. This isn't a memory anymore. This is something else. I don't understand. But I'm sure probably there are plenty of... Plenty of graveyards on Atsakan. How are you here? How are we having this conversation? As you ask your questions, the roses around you, the trees down in the city, the reeds at the marsh at the edge of Lake Ventor begin to grow. And soon the city of Ventor has become overgrown entirely, almost vanishing from your view save for the tips of its tallest buildings and the stacks rising from the paper palace. The land of the serpent that you call Atsakan is a dangerous place, half-child of bright blood and human. Isidore addresses you strangely, though as she does you notice that she doesn't look the same as before. Her voice is even different. She looks older, far older than she should be, and the crimson-red trim of her robe bleeds out across the grey, dyeing it red as blood. And as you look up at her, she continues to age till the face that looks down at you is a skull of bleached bone, dressed in crimson robes. One of the thirteen saints. One of Ashen's reapers. I think most people would probably be scared. Sylvie thinks this is the coolest thing ever, but I don't know that she knows how to respond. So I think she is just sort of standing there, kind of gaping at this saint of Ashen. Probably normal people would be scared, but she thinks it's really cool. At your hand, Haranam leans back into you a bit, almost as if it itself is scared of what this kind of thing this creature, this saint, represents. The figure addresses you. Daughter of Lyria and Tyus and Caliban, 
Markul, foundling of Callisto de Saccharin, student of Vulcan Sator, of Isidore Quinn of Otholantos, know that I, Tananat, of the Thirteen, see you and acknowledge you. Does Sylvie have any reaction? Or does she continue to stare gaping up at this figure of legend? I... What? I... Thank you? Can I... Sh- do Do you want need me to do something? Should I go... Am I going to Adzakan with a goal? Or... Uh, Tananat reaches down... It brings its bony hand entwined by thorny vines down to the ground and pulls away some dirt and leaves, revealing a human or elfin skull. Bones must be buried. Guardians must be proclaimed. The Thirteen watch over you, child of many. Live. Grow and die. You shall tell us your story, as Ashen wills. As the last words fall from its mouth, the branches and vines of a rosebush push out from beneath the crimson folds of its cloak. They entwine with its bones, consuming all. As individual leaves and buds unfurl, the robes are all but gone. Three flashes of color draw you to look towards where its skull was, where three blooms open, two from its eye sockets and one in its mouth. As you look into all that remains of the figure that spoke to you, you take in the sight around you. You are no longer in the cemetery. It is no longer that cemetery growing out of control. Instead, you stand in a jungle, teeming with life and death. Perhaps this is Atsakan. Perhaps this is where you must bury the bones. Proclaim guardians. Perhaps this is where you will live and grow and die. Where you will make your story. You breathe deeply, and the vision fades to darkness. So, Kalina, as we move away from these visions that are besetting Sylvie, where would you like to go? Would you like to go to a familiar hatchet and stop by the scourge ring? It is the morning, so it will be—it won't be busy. But maybe a few people will be there. Maybe some will be practicing. Or uh, would you like to stop at the orphanage? I think first you'd stop at the orphanage. You kind of want to, wants to talk with Leonasis first. I wants to make sure she's got some things to take care of. As you come up to the side of the orphanage, you can hear children at play. They must be on a bit of a break right now. As you open the gate and come in, you can see them running around the yard. Would you like to go inside to look for Anastas? Or are you going to scan out here in hopes that you see her? Kalina will look around for her outside uh, first before trying to go in. 
As you take a moment and stop and look around, the small form of Anastas comes out of this door, and you're really lucky that there are no kids that have curly red hair like her, otherwise you probably would get them confused with her every once in a while, because she stands at only four foot seven, with very long curled red hair and shrewd, piercing even, blue eyes. And she looks up, noticing you, and goes, Oh, hello. Hello, Kalina. What are you dropping by for? You haven't seen you in a while. Good morning, Anastas. Kind of wanted to... Yes, good morning. Wanted to see how everything has been since we've been gone for six days. Lost track of time. Um, how are all the preparations coming for those leaving kids behind? Kids behind. She looks sad. It's heart-wrenching, but preparations are going well. The amount of donations we've had is booming, and whoever keeps leaving those large sums of coins has been doing it very regularly. We'll have enough beds, and we'll have enough clothes. And we should have enough money and food to get through. Is there any small things I can see if the others might be able to bring anything or make anything? I can check the journal store, but they might be stocked from the warden taking everything oh the general don't even check at the general store uh socks socks really uh, that's probably the one thing we'll run out of fast quickly I can talk with Alice he might be excited to help with that I'm not sure what he's got planned I hope he will be I we could use some are you just here to check in? Or? Yeah, unfortunately for now, I'm just... I want to check in. I wanted to check with, uh... How's Sybil been doing? She was sitting in an eerie song on when we were going to the warden. You were seeing the warden? Are you okay? Eh. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we just... Well, I thought it was the warden. It was really just an interrogator and... Luscious. Uh, but they just asked us some questions about what happened. You see her visibly shiver. Oh. Well. I'm glad it was just questions. <laughs> no one ended up in the furnace. Yeah. Marcus and Sylvie were still there, so I hope they're alright. I hope so, too. Well, one of them was meeting with the warden. I don't know who. Oh. Meeting with the warden, you say? That's concerning. What is that? She's been on edge. Uh, about a week ago, another ship came in and we received word from the mainland. It brought in a new rotation of guards. The warfront, uh, Oscarul, has pushed into Talren. Uh, it burned coastal cities. And ever since then, she's been pulling in half-elves for questioning. Kalina will have a... When she hears about port cities, a terrified face. Like, do, do you know which ones got hit? Just on the south. They'd have to have pushed all the way across to get to you where your family is. Don't worry. That's still bold of them. Usually they just raid the supply lines. Any 
Do you ever did you hear what happened? They usually don't even raid that that often. Not for the past six years or so. It's it's been very quiet. It's just small forays back and forth, mostly defense of the border. But something must have happened. It's, it's rumor even that they sent assassins that struck at various senators and at various regional rulers. The warden, she has family in the southern uh, regions of Talren, so unsurprising that she's on edge. More violent than usual. Do you know if any... Has she thrown any half-elves in the furnace just for that? The ones that I've spoken to, they just were brought in for questioning, and then they left. The questioning was quite intense, and they all said that the warden was there questioning them. Herself. And as we'll see Kalina have a very worried look. Do a quick look towards the direction of the prison and, and look back at her. Oh, oh, I'm sure that Sylvie's okay. They didn't throw anyone else into the furnace that I know of, so it's very unlikely that she's been thrown in there. They're probably just keeping her there for further questioning, and maybe maybe the warden was meeting with Marcus. Maybe it was him, and she couldn't be there for the original interrogation of Sylvie, and so she's, she's just holding her to interrogate her later. You know how they like to make people wait and get uncomfortable and... Do I ever? <sighs> Hopefully. Oh, I gotta hope Sylvie's alright. I didn't realize we were walking into that. Did they get any of the uh, senators? Like, did anyone actually get assassinated? Like, so we don't know what caused all this? No idea what caused all this. At least none that we... that, that I know... Maybe some of the guards that were on the front would know. A few of them rotated here. That's how most of us know. This is news from a couple weeks ago. War could be quick against them. I know that firsthand. It's just unusual for them to be that aggressive. Ah, oh, if only they sent us news more on the mainland. This is frustrating just sitting here not being able to do anything. She'll put her hand on your elbow. She'll, like, reach up to you. Reach up to it. And pat it. You're not a member of the military anymore. You're not a rat. Look at what they did to you. Remember that. You don't owe them anything. No. But I also was part of the reason why Tauren was so successful in Amrath. And what little success they had on the borders. Sorry, don't need to get to the middle here. Sybil, um, how's she? How has she been? Uh, she's been quite well. Strange as usual. She hasn't been waking up from. She stopped waking up from nightmares last night. She was having terrible nightmares. Actually, while well, you were gone, uh, screaming about something with teeth across its entire body. A mother and a baby trapped. Something about a, a bathtub. She refused to bathe for a few days. Had to forcefully dunk her in it myself. Strange dreams. The bathtub. How many days ago was that? She will look 
to one of the other children. She'll look to Eutrips. Eutrips, what day was Sybil? Uh, when did she have the nightmare about the bath? And the little girl will look over to her and say, Um, well... I think it was about five days ago. Um, yeah. Uh, you see her count on her f fingers. She goes, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7. Oh, no. Oh, six if you count today. Uh, but, or five if you don't. She holds out her hand towards you. Did I did did I do that right, Miss? Oh, yes, yes, you did. On the sixth, the sixth of Altar. Huh. Mind if I talk to her for a few before I go? Oh, of course. And she'll look. I could have sworn she was right over. Did anyone see where Sybil's gone? There's a chorus of no, 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 no. She's a witch! No, no. D don't call her a witch. And eventually it goes around and no one knows where Sybil is. She's gone. Again. I'm in an idea where she might be. I'll be right back. And Kalina will go to the beach that she followed Sybil to the first time. Sybil is not there. But that is because you find her before she gets there, walking towards the beach. And she's humming to herself. It sounds like she's humming the same song that she sang earlier this morning. Okay, so Kalina will just follow her to the beach until she, or follow her until she stops. Uh, kind of just walking. A shackled one comes he walks by me The first of them mark To set her free The links will be broken We must agree Oh come my shackled ones She has made it to the top of the beach And is starting to climb down it uh, Towards the water Her chosen anointed It's plain to see a true predator slain by those like you and me. The first link is far beyond the sea amidst old places of destiny. And she's now made it to the edge of the water. And she's taken her shoes off and her socks and has stepped into the water a bit. Oh, come, oh, come. My shackled ones, rise and break the chains. Oh, come, oh, come, my shackled ones, and rise to break the chains. And then she kicks the water and splashes a bit and giggles. Her black hair, it whips in the breeze. After she finished the song, Clean will walk up and go, Pretty song. My mama always sang it to me. She had lots of other verses, though. Really? Yeah, a lot of them. What's it about? Oh, 
It's about a group of friends. Yeah, it's about a group of friends. And they go places. And they do these things. And they're helping people. They're helping someone. They break, they break the chains. My mama always said that when the last chain was broken, that would be when the advent of fate would come. The changing of an age. Whatever that means. Clean will walk up to her and kind of sit on the sand next to her. If you're going to sit right next to her, the waves are splashing over her feet. Yep. So you're going to sit so the water is splashing, probably now like drenching you. Mm-hmm. The Crystal Sea, it's warmer this time of year, but really not by much. It's still quite cold. And Sybil splashes a bit. She kicks, splashing water this way and that. So, Anasis tell me you were having nightmares until recently. Uh-huh. Yeah. But you stopped them. <laughs> I don't think I can do that. Oh, no. You and your friends did. But really, it was you. You broke the dagger. You broke the fang. And she'll just look at you and beam at you with a smile. So you did see it all, huh? Just little bits. I don't like bathtubs. Or blankets. Eh, he have that in common with Marcus. Think he's a little scared of blankets for a while. And Maya's not gonna go in the bathtub anytime soon, either. Hopefully. She, she will. Hopefully that one doesn't kill her. She'll be real stinky. <laughs> Maybe she'll even smell like one of the boys. Mm, you should see how they smell when they've been fighting in armor for a week straight. That's when they're the worst. She holds up her two fingers and, like, clamps her nose... And then sort of, like, pretend falls back, but doesn't actually, as if, like, being knocked back by the stench. Yeah, that's about it. So, you've had some... Those weren't dreams, and you know that they're not dreams. How do you know they're not dreams? Mama called them... Gifts. She said that I'd see things like she'd see things. Like how she knew, how she knew that she'd have me when, when when she saw my daddy, and that she'd die, and she knew what she needed to say to me, and what song she needed to sing to me, and all that. She knew it all. I don't know it all though. I don't see things as clearly as she did. Mostly, I see them when I'm sleeping. Uh, but sometimes I see them when I'm awake. You know, I hope that you're strong. I really do. You and your friends, you're going to see some things. You're going to go through a lot. But I really hope you're strong. I hope that you can change. If you don't change, you die. And what is it I need to change about myself, or I die? You'll find out. Can't make it easy, huh? I don't know. What about the others? They have their own paths. But you'll all walk them together. 
Maybe you'll walk them separately for a bit, but you'll mostly walk them together. Good friends. Gonna change a lot of things. Or you might not. Things could go horrible. Ship could crash. Everyone might die. It's a possibility. That would be the worst. That would be one way to go out. Mm-hmm. Didn't even have a chance. Have you practiced these gifts? Anyone teaching you? Oh, my mama taught me what I, what she could. But the rest of it? I'm just gonna learn it on my own. No one here that can really tell me. There's, there's a couple different people, though, out there that could. And maybe one day when I'm older, I'll, I'll go back to the mainland and I'll find them. Or maybe I'll come to Atsakan. Not in Atsakan, there's, maybe there's someone there too. I get a feeling there is. Yeah, there's someone there that could help me learn too. I could do that. Then I'd be with my dad. Hmm. Maybe I'll choose that one. Your dad's on Ad on Atskazan. Oh no, he'll be there. Not there yet. But he's not in the colony, is he? He's not here. Wouldn't you like to know? And she'll just smile and laugh. Like she's playing a game. You're too smart for your own good, son, kid. Alright. And she'll get up and clean and get up a stretch. Before you go, there's one more thing you should know. If you get a chance to help Sharuna... Help her. Things will turn out better if you do. What does Sharuna look like? I don't know. You just know her name? Uh-huh. She's named Sharuna. Can change how things turn out. And she'll smile. And she'll go back to kicking at the water. And then she'll turn around and come out and bury her toes in the sand and then she'll sit down and brush them off drying her feet off with sand and then she'll holding her shoes and her socks she'll skip back all the way to the orphanage singing that same song the whole way Queen will smile and kind of try and keep up but stay behind her just to watch her be so carefree. And is this your end at the orphanage? Once Sybil's back, uh, Kalina will tell Anasa's, hey, I found her. She sh hopefully will be a bit more <laughs> in, con in control. Reminds her she'll ask Alice about socks and then make her way towards the scourge ring. And as you make your way towards the scourge ring, we shall move back into the dark depths. Back to what goes on in the furnace. Sylvie. All is dark. Perhaps this is what it was like before Ashen cleaved the nothingness in two and brought forth creation. You muse to yourself. You recognize that these dreams, they seem to be a mixture of dream and vision. But what comes next is a vista that you have never witnessed before. It is ascending, a premonition, a future. Or is it just a dream? 
There is a flare of light. You float in the center of a room. In front of you, a greenish radiance glows faintly within the heart of a pillar of crystal. The glow surrounds a beautiful elven woman. Her skin is pale like a bright elf, but her veins are green. She is like no elf that you have ever seen before. As you look about, you see a plaque beneath the crystal, one that is inscribed with two lines of text, one in a language you cannot read, the other in an alphabet so very similar to the Oscaruli that you think it reads Etelitale. E-T-E-L-E-H-T-A-L-L-E. Etelitale. You reach out to touch it, to touch the crystal and the woman behind it, and the vision shifts. It speeds through stone, through lush jungles, through soaring clouds and scarlet plains, into jungles once more, and through ruins crafted from ancient stone. You hang briefly in a dusty room in the shape of an eight-pointed star. At each point, elaborately carved archways. Behind you, there is the dry hiss of scale rubbing against scale. Before darkness descends and you succumb to blackness. And that is where we will leave tonight's session. Thank you for listening to Roll With Adventure, where we bring you this story from our imagination to your ears. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe for future episodes, rate us where you get your podcast, and visit us at www rollwithadventure.com If you'd like to contact us, you can write us at dm at rollwithadventure.com Our intro and outro music is Brave by Arcane Anthems. Thanks for the components of this episode's soundscapes. Go to zapsplat.com, Purple Planet Music, and Arcane Anthems. Full credits are in the episode description. Hello? I am Disco, and I play Alice, the radiant Genasi- Oh, my phone buzzed. Hold on. Retake. <laughs> Bloopers! Oops. Hello, I am Disco. That was a little, like, sensual. Hold on, right? Hello, I am Disco, and I'm playing Alice, the radiant Genasi- Hap- Sorry, hold on. <laughs> This is not working today. <laughs> right, right. Case of the Mondays. I'm laughing over here. This has not happened. <laughs> I give good delivery. I'm like knocked off my game. Okay, hold on. Hello. I'm Disco, and I play Alice, the radiant Genasi druid of the homebrewed Half Moon Druid Circle, who is, uh, a walking. Sorry, I messed it up again. <laughs> Josh, breathe in. Breathe in. Breathe out. Do you have a cup of tea? 
I have better. I have espresso. Take a sip. Already. <clears throat> there, I did it. Okay, I got it. High five. Da, 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 da. Now that everyone has introduced themselves, let's get this adventure rolling. And remember here. Wait. Oh. What? Oh my gosh, did I? Really? Okay, sorry. Yep, bloopers. <laughs> just leave this whole part in. Just do the whole thing. Carlos being on just really threw us all off. We're all just confused. Yes. <laughs> we should let him know that we just cannot do this without him. Can someone... Our groove is messed up. Someone... Allie, can you message him while Corey... Corey does his intro. Uh, yes, I will. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was so cool. If you need any spellings, uh, I can tell you now before we move on to the next. Oh, yeah, probably just all of them. Um, how do you spell Tenonat and how do you spell Haranom? Um, <laughs> oh, how do I spell my dad's last name? 